Hello and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast, a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. You guys, thank you so much for being here and for tuning in as I am having time to record these interviews, edit these podcasts, and get them out to you. This spring, I have a few different things on my plate, and so my goal is to get one episode a month out to you right now, and I will let you know if that changes. But I think today's conversation will make up for some wait time because I am really excited to be joined by Dr. Keith and Sheila Ray Gregoire. If you're unfamiliar with Keith and Sheila and Sheila's ministry, Keith and Sheila live in Ontario, where Keith is a pediatrician and Sheila is an award-winning author and blogger. Together, they have a passion for marriage and they regularly speak at marriage retreats and at Family Life Canada weekend conferences. In their 25 years of marriage, they've lived through grad school, medical residency, the birth of three children, and the death of one. And through it all, they've realized that clinging to each other and clinging to God is so much better than trying to go it alone. And while we don't get too much into their story today, they openly and honorably share parts of their story in their upcoming books, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, which are available for pre-order now on Amazon. So what I'm going to be talking with them about today is how we work toward a better sex life in marriage and how we teach a better sex life to Christian couples. And if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time or know me in real life, you know that I have certain standards for what I teach and for what I promote. Because for me, Christian teachings on sex and marriage should lead couples to health and life, mutuality and wholeness, rather than subtly or not so subtly guiding couples toward dysfunction, inequality, and even trauma. So today on the Brave Marriage Podcast, I am joined by Keith and Sheila to talk about what a healthy, emotionally connected sex life looks like and can look like in marriage. I hope it's encouraging and eye-opening for you today. We'll have links to their books at the end of the episode. And if you do enjoy this episode, please, please text it to a friend, share it with a friend, and also leave a rating and review to let more people know how to find content like this. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, welcome, Keith and Sheila, to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, for my listeners who are unfamiliar with your all's work, Tell us a little bit about yourselves and how it seems like your whole family at this point has come to talk about sex and marriage for a living. Yes, which is super weird. I know that's really super weird. Um, So I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire. I started blogging at tolivehonorandvacuum.com in 2008, and I started off as a mommy blogger. So we did, you know, parenting, organization, housework, et cetera. And the more I talk, talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so I kind of became like this Christian sex person, which is weird. <laughs> um, and at the same time, my husband yeah. Keith and I were so, speaking at marriage conferences. Yeah. So I, I'm a, I'm a general pediatrician and that's my main day job. And, and then one day my wife came to me and said, Hey, how would you like to get up in front of thousands of people and talk about the most intimate details of our marriage? So and who wouldn't jump at the chance to do that? So you know, I kind of just... <laughs> grabbed on and we've been Mm -hmm. having a lot of fun and really hoping to help marriages since. Yeah. Very good. You guys, um, I might have to interview you sometime about having a medical marriage because I know that is a challenge for couples. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but I want to back up because 
Was it last March you all published The Great Sex Rescue? Yes. So I did. I wrote it with my daughter, Rebecca, and another friend of ours, Joanna Sawatsky, um, because it was it was a huge survey based on 20,000 women. And so we all had our unique roles to play <laughs> in yeah. writing and in doing the stats and the survey design. So yeah, yeah, very good. So I read that right when it came out. And it was thrilling to me <laughs> as a marriage and family therapist, because knowing the real life stories and then having them published in a book <laughs> based on your all's research. And then beyond that, to see you all go at the end of each chapter, here are some ways to say this differently. Here are ways that church communities can communicate differently and help. It was just so, so encouraging. So I would love to know what were some of your all's findings and how did that lead into the books that we're going to be talking about today? Yeah. So, um, so the reason that we started it, the reason that I did the great sex rescue is because I had, um, I had done marriage and sex blogging for years, <laughs> but I had never actually read any of the bestsellers in the evangelical world because I was always afraid of plagiarizing. And then one day in 2019, I was, I had a migraine. I was trying to procrastinate. I wasn't working and I was on Twitter and people were having this debate about love and respect, which is one of the best-selling evangelical books. And I realized I'd had that in my cupboard and I'd never read it. So I went and got it and I looked at the sex chapter and it was like a nuclear bomb went off in my living room because I had yeah. never realized what was being taught. I just was totally ignorant of it. Um, and in that book, Emerson Egrich said, you know, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. So sex is about the guy and that that need is for physical release. So nothing about intimacy. There was not a single thing in the chapter about how a woman can feel pleasure as well. It was just all how she's obligated to give him sex. And I kind of freaked out. And oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Keith, I would love to hear from your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, if this well, is what we're teaching. Yeah, well, it's funny because she actually told me this stuff. I said, oh, you, you can't say that, right? <laughs> so I actually got it down off the shelf and I read it too. And I was worse than her. And I was putting all kinds of notes in the margin. Like, what you know, evidence is there for this? Like, there's no scientific basis for this. This is actually the opposite of what everything that has been done in scientific studies has shown. And yeah. anyway, we're both kind of concerned about. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so uh, with my daughter, um, Rebecca, who works on my blog and my podcast, and she has, um, she had a heavy concentration on psychometrics in her undergrad. So survey design. So she designed our survey and Joanna Sawatsky, who was working um, for me at the time, had a master's in epidemiology and is a statistician. And so, <laughs> so we just designed this huge survey um, to look at how certain evangelical teachings affected women's marital and sexual satisfaction. And we identified four big beliefs that were really mm -hmm. harmful. Can, can I just jump in, Sheila? And mm -hmm. just, I want to clarify, because I don't think all the listeners will understand, because she didn't ask women, did you, were you hurt in your marriage by this teaching? What this study did was it asked women about their marital satisfaction, because that's like an easy thing to start a survey. And then it asked them about their sexual satisfaction. And then it went on and said, do you believe this? Do you believe that? That sort of thing. And then she compared the groups. Mm -hmm. If you believe this, how did you answer the marital questions? How did mm -hmm. you answer the, answer the sexual mm -hmm. satisfaction questions? So it, it, was, it was an actual study. And it showed that people who believe these things had lower yeah. satisfaction in their, in their marriage and sex lives. Yeah. And, and, and the most, you know, the most, um, things like lust is every man's battle. Um, a woman is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. Uh, those, you know, a woman should have frequent sex to keep him from watching porn. Mm -hmm. Those beliefs, which are commonly taught 
really have very negative outcomes. And so then what we wanted to do after all of that was to survey guys as well. And in, in 2012, I wrote the original Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, but I, and it's been selling really well ever since, but I wanted to revise it so that it's more consistent with the research that we found. And then we also did the study of men. And so now we've got the new Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and the all new revised Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, which are honestly based in evidence based yeah. research and, and yeah. yeah and i was only really involved in the writing of the good guys guide sheila's the, mm -hmm. the sole author of the good girls guide mm -hmm. okay okay well i want to get into both of them a little bit because i had a chance to look through the good girls guide and then i read the whole good guys guide with my husband um so those are really great i mean i can't recommend them enough so sheila let me start with you with the Good Girls Guide, how did, you said you originally wrote it in 2012 and then rewrote it based on your research. What were mm -hmm. some of the things that you revised after doing a valid study of 22,000 mm -hmm. women? Yeah, so in the original, it's, oh, it's not that I said things wrong. I just didn't emphasize them right. And sure. so for instance, I mentioned that women could have a higher sex drive. And I did talk about that in the original one and what to do if that's the case but I still presented sex in very gendered terms. So like women are like this and men are like this, you know, and, and God created women to react this way in sex and God created men to react that way in sex. And it's just not like that. It's far more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop saying women are like this and men are like this. And we need to start saying, you know, there's a whole range of experience. And what's really important is how you both are in your own particular relationship. Right. And no one is broken if they don't live up to the average. And for all of us, you know, there's such a thing as overlapping bell curves. Like we all know that men are taller than women, but at the same time, lots of like, there might be lots of individual women that are taller than some individual men. Right. right? <laughs> and so something can be true like overall, but that doesn't mean it's true for every single person. And even when we talk about libido, for instance, you know, we always talk about how guys have the higher libido, but that's not true. In 58% of marriages, yes. He has the higher libido, but in 23% it's shared and in 19% she does. So it's a lot more nuanced than the conversation we often have. Which is so helpful because it just normalizes everyone's experience. And as you guys have written in your books, like you said, you'll give the statistics and you'll say, here's what's actually true, but take a look at your marriage. Like what, what does your marriage look like? Which is just so helpful and normalizing for couples, which is great. Mm -hmm. Keith, what maybe surprised you about Sheila's research study and how did that inform what you wrote or didn't write <laughs> in the good guy's guide to great sex? Yeah. So, you know, I think that the, the thing that was really interesting for me, there was the, the big thing I talk about often is the thing that didn't surprise me, but I think will surprise everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the, the question of lust. Um, because the, when Sheila published in the great sex rescue that the, the message, all men struggle with lust, is a harmful message for women. The response of the people who have criticized her has been predominantly, but that's just the way men are. Uh, you know, and, and there's all these jokes, 95% of men struggle with lust and 5% struggle with lying. That's yes. sort of the, the, that's sort of what you hear out there, right? Um, so one of the questions we asked in the guys survey was, do you have a personal struggle with lust? It was a clear question. Mm -hmm. And we found that 75% of Christian men who took the survey identified themselves with having a problem with struggling with lust. Now that in and of itself is an interesting statistic because it's not a hundred. 
Um, right. 25% of guys are like, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> you know? and, and I think that that's great, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but this is the thing that didn't surprise me, but that I think will surprise other people is what we theorized was that a lot of these men who felt they had a struggle with lust were not actually struggling with lust after all, but we're, but, but we're struggling with a misunderstood idea of what sexuality means. Same one. And, yeah. So let me give you an example. So for instance, we had, we had quest, several questions where we would present a vignette or a scenario and then we would ask how the men would react to it. Would they stare at her? Would they, you know, save a mental image of her in her head to, to enjoy later? Would they, you know, all these kind of things. And what we found is of those 75% of men, the vast majority of them did not lust in any of the situations we provided them. And yet they self-identified as having a trouble with lust, even though they didn't show it by the way they answered those other questions. And, and what we present in the book is we think that this is because we have a very inappropriate idea of what lust actually is. Uh, and we're confusing normal male sexual attraction to women as lust, right. um, which has doubly negative effects. The first thing it does is that men who are just regular, normal guys who notice a pretty girl and say, wow, she's really, really beautiful, feel guilty for being you know, a typical guy. But at the same time, guys who are actually objectifying, looking at women with, you know, leering gaze and all that sort of stuff go, oh, well, that's just the way men are. So I can't help it. God made me this way. And they excuse that bad behavior. So we punish the good guys and we give the bad guys a free pass with the same toxic teaching. So it's oh. double barreled evil. <laughs> It really is. That's so fascinating. And I'm glad that you took a look at that. And yeah, you all go further in the book to explain the differences there. And just, I mean, it's so straightforward. It's so clear. And after you read it, it's so, it's so common sense, right? (laughs) So let me, let me jump to on page 38, you wrote our own research as well as peer reviewed literature leads us to this conclusion, healthy, secure people, and an emotionally mm-hmm. connected marriage who regularly reach orgasm during sex tend to want to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys. And that seems so common sense, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yet it needs to be stated. Yeah. So well, because yeah. yeah, go ahead. I think because the church is just saying that you need to have more sex. Like that's the answer. So women pick up the, you know, pick up the pace, women. It's all your fault. Do it. Yeah. And, and that's, a, you know, frequency, the issue of frequency, frequency is not the problem. If there's a problem with frequency in your marriage, most of the time it's related to another issue in your marriage you need to address. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saying that, seeing a symptom and treating it like it's the disease is not a good recipe for help. Yeah. Right. And not just that, even if a marriage has good frequency, that doesn't mean the sex is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Same frequency is not a message of, is a very poor measure of anything. You know, basically what, what we're trying to say in both books is look guys, <laughs> you know, sex is not just a one-sided intercourse. It's not mm-hmm. just something where the husband gets his physical release the way Emerson Eggert talks about it in love and respect. Sex is something which is supposed to be mutual. So you both want it. You're both engaged in it intimate. So it's a deep knowing of each other and pleasurable for both. So both of you are having fun. (laughs) And the problem is that when you look at the way we teach about sex and when you look at what couples are actually going through, often at least one of those things is missing. And then we wonder why there's no frequency. (laughs) And so let's, let's work on making sure that we're bridging the orgasm gap. You know, let's work at making sure that 
you're feeling intimate during sex and you're not feeling used and porn's not there and all of that, you know, all, all the things that go along with that. Um, instead of reducing sex to something which is merely about sin avoidance. So have sex so that he won't watch porn. He won't lust, you know, you won't have an affair. You won't drift. No, like let's look at sex as something which is the culmination of an already healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Would you all be willing to say a little bit about the three pieces, three components that you all talk about the physical intimacy, the emotional connection, and then the spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. So starting with the physical, uh, Sheila, you mentioned the orgasm gap. I know what that is, but could you tell my listeners what that is, what you all found? Sure. So 95% of men almost always or always reach orgasm during a sexual encounter, but the equivalent number for women is only 48. So we have a 47 point orgasm gap. And that's a lot of women who are having intercourse or doing some other form of sexual contact or whatever, and just aren't getting a lot of pleasure from it. And guys would never put up with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If if you told men God's plan for sex is that you will get all, you know, hot and bothered and have a lot of fun. And then half the time you'll just stop. And that's the way God wants it to be. Mm -hmm. I don't think most guys would think that that was a good plan. Right. (laughs) And yet we tolerate that for women. Right. Mm -hmm. and, And it's because we've internalized this message that sex is for men and it's not for women. Women's job is just to give it to men. Um, and it's, it's not a healthy teaching. Yeah. And so we have a lot in both books on how to reach orgasm. And this is a really difficult topic to talk mm-hmm. about because if you've been married for 15 years and she's never reached orgasm, they're already stressed about it. And so it's like, yeah. how do you talk about this without adding stress? So it, it is really tricky how to thread that needle because I would talk about this very differently to couples who are about to get married than couples who'd married for 15 years. And we tried to, we tried to walk that line really, really um, finely. But, you know, for couples who are about to get married, aim for her orgasm, like make that a huge deal. Cause if you start out that way, you're probably going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But the problem is if you, what often happens is, is couples get married. The honeymoon happens. Sex isn't really very good. She doesn't speak up. He thinks she's not sexual. Eventually she thinks she's not sexual and they just get into this real rut and they've never figured out how her body works. And it becomes more and more difficult to do that every year that this goes on. Right. <laughs> and then you get more and more stressed about it. Right. So, and then there's relational injury that you're having to fight against, you know, after you've established habits and patterns that create more problems than needed. So yeah, yeah, I'm really big on the first few years of marriage and like whatever you can do because those habits really stabilize and create your homeostasis. So figure it out from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Would you all mind? I have cracked up and there's a page where you guys talk about the dinner or maybe you all want to read it, Um, which would you prefer? Oh, so, well, yeah. Okay. So I'll just summarize it because it's pretty long. Okay. Perfect. You're talking about Tracy and Doug, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we give this concept of uh, you're going, imagine you live in a world where you are taught that the way that a woman feels appreciated is being taken out to a fine restaurant once a week or twice a week. And so Tracy and Doug are this couple trying to live by God's plan of you know, and they go out to, to dinner and they order their dinner and Tracy gets this amazing appetizer and Doug gets nothing. And then Tracy's, you know, loves the appetizer, talks about how great it is. And then she gets her main course, which is, I don't think we said like steak, steak. with peppercorn sauce or, you know, like we really, rel- we really 
draw it out and make it, you feel so good for Tracy, right? <laughs> she's getting the steak and peppercorn sauce. She's like carving into it. It's awesome. And then she, then that goes away and still Doug's left with an empty plate. And then finally her molten lava cake dessert comes and Doug just gets his chicken wing appetizer at the same time. She's done the cake and says, that was amazing. Let's go home now. You know, Doug puts down the third chicken wing that he started and barely got into and follows his wife out the door, you know, and we asked the question, if this was your experience year after year after year, how would Doug feel about going out to restaurants with his wife? Um, And would it help Doug to say to him, well, Doug, you should just feel happy that your wife enjoyed the experience and you should enjoy the closeness that you have by experiencing it together. Yeah, We wouldn't stand for that as guys. No guy would stand for that. And so we shouldn't tolerate that for women either. It should be a, it should be a full course meal for both partners. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what we're trying to do with these two guides is make it what it, meant, it was meant to be for both the husband and the wife. All throughout your all's books, there are great nuggets like that, where it's just so clear and it really makes you think, especially, you know, for me as someone who grew up in the evangelical South, I'm from Kentucky. So right in the Bible belt. And I was listening to another podcast of, of yours, Sheila. What was it? Press and Sprinkle, right? And he's, I, I think he's in Idaho or something. And he was like, wait, people still believe this? And I was going, yes, Preston, like this is my whole <laughs> private practice. I don't understand. <laughs> So reading your all's books, there are just so many things, even for me, I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. there's like so much brainwashing that anyway, yeah. go ahead. Because the thing that disturbs me is there's so many Christians out there who are teaching that if you don't believe these toxic things we teach, then you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and that's terrible because then people think, well, I don't want to give up my faith. So I will believe that I have to have sex with my husband. So he won't watch porn because mm-hmm. that's a Christian teaching. That is not a Christian teaching. Yeah. That is yeah. not a Christian teaching. And, and Christian sexuality should be the healthiest sexuality of all. And, and, and when it's not, we need to stop and go, are we adding things to our theology that really aren't from God? And, and that's what we're trying to do with these books, starting from the ground up with a more healthy view that's still yeah. very Christian, still, you know, biblically yeah. based but also evidence-based. Oh, it is. It is. It's really great. Yeah. When I get a lot of intake paperwork back with my clients, you know, um, men and women, I'll say, what's one thing you think you can do right now to improve your marriage? And so many times women go, well, I could probably be more intimate. Well, I could probably give them more sex. Mm. And I'm like, well, maybe, but maybe let's explore your dynamic and see what's there that it's not happening, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, I, we'll we'll talk about where people can find your all's books because I really want them to buy them. Um, so let me ask you this. So if couples are going to buy both of the guides to work through together, how would you all recommend they do that? What's different about them? What's similar? How should they work through your all's books together? Yeah, we tried. We- we tried to write the chapters the same and then we realized it wasn't going to work <laughs> because, because, um, the message that that you each need is slightly different. Um, but what we did do is at the end of the book, there's discussion questions. Um, there's two sets. There's to read if you're pre-married and then there's to read if you're already married. Um, and so I would just suggest that you read the books in their entirety first by yourselves and then go back and work on the discussion questions because chapter one doesn't necessarily line up to chapter one in both books. But once you've read the whole thing, you're each going to have had the same message, just might be in different orders. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And I'm wondering, you know, 
I feel like there's some strategy <laughs> in the ordering of the books and starting with like the physical intimacy first. Um, I liked how you guys talked about like, this is a team effort and especially in the guys books, like starting with some of that. Anyway, was there strategy? I'm sure in the ordering of your all's books. Yeah, we definitely did the physical first because when people think about sex, that's really all they're thinking about. <laughs> so let's get let's get the orgasm thing out of the way and let's get like how sex works out of the way. Um, and then we did spiritual next, just you know, how you feel connected and everything. I think did we do it spiritual? I'm, I'm, I think the guys is emotional and spiritual. Yeah, because I we might have flipped it for them. Um, but all three are important for both. Yeah. And and going back to you guys are saying, you know, if you don't have all three pieces you're not going to have a healthy, holistic sex life. Do you find, you know, whether from your research or from the interviews that you've done, are there tendencies toward one or the other? Or does it, is it really just nuanced depending on the couple? I think the problem really is that we see sex as mostly a physical thing. And when we do that, she can often end up feeling very used. And especially when there is porn use involved, because we found that roughly 49% of men have some current relationship with porn. Now, most of it's an intermittent binges or, or they're using it rarely. So, you know, not that often, but they still are using it. And that can lead to a lot of betrayal trauma. It can lead to a way of seeing sex where it's about him using her for his sexual gratification. So there's a real entitlement mindset, which porn can feed. And that's where you're really missing out on that oneness and that intimacy that is supposed to come from sex. And so you, you know, we really need to deal with some of these things and some of these distorted ways of looking at sex. And I think that's the biggest thing that we're missing is that intimacy piece. And we talk about intimacy, like even the woman you said, uh, you, you ask them and they say, well, I can be more intimate, but I don't think that they're actually talking about being intimate, that they're using that as a code word for, I can have sex more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a sad state that we're in. Um, if sex is really just about a man's release, it's not intimate. Yeah. By any definition. And the primary emotion that I think it was 19% of women said they felt after sex was feeling used. Mm. So that's not intimate. Mm-mm. No. And I think, I think men who have been exposed to the porn message or who've just grown up in evangelical culture with some of these entitled messages, men are mistaking physical intimacy. Like when they say, oh, this is how I feel emotionally connected. It may be, but it could also be mistaking that for actual emotional connection. What are your all's thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we talk about that in the Good Guys Guide quite a bit. It's, and it's a shortcut for true intimacy. Um, and so, you know, it's part of, you know, this, the physical intimacy of sex is part of the intimacy of the marriage relationship, but it's not all there is. Like yeah. emotional and spiritual connection is, is all tied up in it. And we have this um, mentality that men are more compartmentalized about sex and women are more holistic about sex. But, you know, I, I think that both of us need to realize that God didn't just make sex to be a physical thing. It's, it's an emotional and spiritual thing. And, and we, both, we both do better when we realize that both men and women need to see it for all God meant it to be. And not just say, well, guys don't get the emotional part of sex. Well, mm-hmm. you know, we do get the emotional part of sex. That's why being rejected feels so difficult. <laughs> you know, yeah, it yeah. is an emotional and spiritual thing. And I think guys do get that. But we just haven't had a lot of teaching mm-hmm. about what does it mean to be a healthy man in the, in the church and have a healthy sex life in the church as a man. And I think a lot of the problem too, is like a lot, like sex can allow a couple to feel connected without having to do the hard work of connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And, and a, lot, a lot of guys see the, the, how much sex they're having as a, as a state of the union kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. If it's happening sure. a lot, then we think everything's cool. When mm -hmm. maybe there's stuff below the surface that we're not seeing. Yeah, which is why she could be in agony in their marriage. And she could be bringing up all of these issues and saying it till the cows come home. But if they're still having sex every 72 hours because she's initiating because she feels like she has to, he doesn't really hear her right. when she says our marriage is in crisis. I've worked with clients and it's like, not until I'm crying. Is there any like noticeable change and you know he just doesn't know what's going on in my mind until I'm crying while we're making love and then it's like oh there there are problems what you've been saying you know so yeah there's just I keep going back to all the problems but <laughs> I really am excited for your books because I think they are such a great answer to a lot of what's been missing I also really appreciate as a counselor <laughs> how much you guys you tell the truth, you come from a biblical perspective, you come from an evidence-based perspective. And then a lot of times you're deferring to licensed counselors and saying, seek someone out. Here's what you need to know. Now seek someone out if needed. Because I think a lot of times, I mean, I've, let, I've read a lot of Christian sex books, okay? And not a lot of them talk about sexual pain. Not a lot of them talk about what's going on postpartum. Not a lot of them talk about past trauma and how to deal with that or porn and how to deal with that within the, within like a regular sex book that's not focused on porn addiction, for example. Mm -hmm. I know that was intentional on your all's part. What was important for you about including that and then directing people to licensed professionals? I, I just have a real, this is, this is a big deal for me. This is a very, very big deal for me is that people seek out licensed counselors, not just a regular counselor, because there is, and I need to be careful how I say this, but there is a field of counseling, especially in the Christian world that is not licensed, that often does more harm than good. And this has actually been proven <laughs> in many studies because the focus is on maintaining a certain type of marriage rather than getting at what is emotionally healthy. And it's a bigger, it's a, it's, it's really a bigger issue, but it's based on the idea that what matters is what we believe. And that's not what Jesus said. <laughs> what Jesus said is that a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. <laughs> and so you will be able to know whether something is healthy or not based on the fruit that it bears. And often there is um, teaching, especially around marriage and sex, that is actually bearing very bad fruit. And that's what our studies showed of both men and women. There are certain teachings that are bearing very bad fruit, but those teachings are very wrapped up in certain ways of seeing marriage. And there's a lot of counseling schools that aren't licensed, um, but that are teaching those ways of seeing marriage. And it's not based on anything evidence-based. It's not based on any studies. It, you know, like if we believe Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and that we should see good fruit, then we shouldn't be afraid of data. Data is just simply going to point us to more realities about Jesus. And so I, I'm just very, very passionate about helping people or pointing people to the proper help, which I think is best and most easily found in people that are licensed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know you cited Andrew Bauman's work, uh, Jennifer mm -hmm. Degler's work. Uh, they have great stuff too. Um, yeah. So is there anything else? I, I do want to ask you what you hope that men and women take away from each of your books, but is there anything else that you'd like to share that we didn't get to? I think, I, I think what, what we were trying to do with these books 
is show people how we can build a healthy view of sex from the ground up. Mm-hmm. You know, for those of you who are more familiar with me, I've been spending the last couple of years trying to show where we've really gone off track <laughs> and, and, and which books have said really terrible things and, and how we can reject those terrible teachings. And what we're trying to do with these books is say, okay, what if we were to just build something healthy from, from the start, <laughs> you know, what would it look like? And just present a better, more holistic picture. And that's what I hope we've done in the good guys guide to great sex and the good girls guide to great sex. Yeah. Keith. The big takeaway I would like to say for the guys with the good guys guide is this is guys, you've been sold a bill of goods. (laughs) You know, the Christian teaching out there is sex is for you. Uh, You're entitled to it. Your wife needs to give it to you if she's a submissive, godly wife. And a lot of guys have sold that up as, oh, this is amazing. That is not amazing. That is poison. And if you drink that, it will poison your relationship. Mm -hmm. God made sex to be something amazing for the two of you to experience together. It was meant to be mutual. Um, And this book is going to help you not to get more sex, but to get better sex and to help you to rock your wife's world. Mm-hmm. If you're the kind of guy who wants to rock your wife's world, <laughs> then this book is for you. If you're the kind of guy who wants to sit back and be entitled, you know, you're going to be really challenged by this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there are so many good guys out there, you know, so many great couples who, who just need this information. Mm-hmm. So I am so grateful to you all for writing it. I mean, really thank you for your work and your effort and being more familiar, being a, a patron of you guys. Thank you for enduring a lot <laughs> in order to be here and to get these books out. So where can people find the books? Where can my listeners connect with your work and get these books? Yeah, so um, best place to go is well, of course, Amazon has everything. So <laughs> good guys guide to great sex, good girls guide to great sex on Amazon or the great sex rescue as well. Um, you can also find me at to love, honor and vacuum.com. And the books are there along with some courses we've done on orgasm, libido, et cetera. And of course the bear marriage podcast, um, Perfect. which is every Thursday. Yeah. Okay. We will link all of that in the show notes and thank you guys again for your time and for being here today. Thanks. It's been Our great. Pleasure. Love is not a battle Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile as it is